welcome to selfdiscoveryradio.com, where we bring you insightful, liberating, intuitive people from around the globe. They share their life's journeys and experience wisdom to guide you on your own discovery of self. Each week from Tuesday to Monday, we will bring you new shows on our many genres, and with over 1,400 shows, we have the answers for you. Enjoy your listening on selfdiscoveryradio.com. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Choose Positive Living with me, your host, Sarah Troy, and my guest today, Ryan Skinner. Now, stigma. This is something that can be... I don't think anybody's gone through life without facing some form of stigma from somebody. It's a judgment. It's uh, It hurts. It's um, very unkind. And it stays with you. Because it's kind of telling you that there's something wrong about you. Wrong about your choices. or just wrong about you in general. And Ryan's been through his stigma. Now, Ryan went down the addiction road for a while. He had a lot of demons chasing him. And, uh, you know, it's everybody's been there. Addiction was his route for a while until he changed things around. And we're going to find out how he did that today and what it has sparked. Everything is for a reason in life. All our ups and downs are there to give us the tools and the knowledge to follow our path. And his path is to start the Ryan Fund. It's where he wants to actually help people who have had addiction, the people that have got left behind, uh, the people that are just pretty well forgotten, orphaned by the parents who have died of overdoses or, you know, are trying to get back up on their feet. These are the people that the stigma is most against. You are guilty by your past actions and nobody's looking at you today and what you can contribute or even giving you a chance. It's not about the handout, it's about the hand up and helping everybody get back on their feet of their own productivity. So he says that he just wants to do something for the kids, the veterans and the homeless and look forward to working with the Ryan Fund to serve as many of them as possible, working in the financial services for many years has well prepared him for the journey and the challenges that lie ahead. So let's take this journey with Ryan and find out why it's so meaningful and why we need to pay attention. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Hey, how are you, Sarah? Thank you for having me. Uh, absolutely delight, delight. And um, I don't think anybody's walked this path in life without having to face something, some adversity, something that um, knocks them over the head. Um, you know, that is life. That's the journey of life. And for you, it w- was the addictive road. Can you share with us how that path happened? Absolutely. Um, it happened, you know, I'm not really sure how it happened. What happened is my child, I grew up, I was an insecure kid, but I was a great kid. You know, I hung out with nice kids. I played sports. I did fairly well in school. Um, in high school, I drank occasionally, but I didn't try to drink too much. I actually just drank to hold a beer at a party to fit in. Uh, my uncle was an alcoholic, and uh, he wasn't a good guy. So I assumed alcoholics were bad people, and I just didn't want to become one. Uh, I ended college, and I started hanging out with a faster group. I got a job at a nice high-end bar where there were a lot of wealthy folks, and a lot of them were drinking, and they were a lot of finance guys, which I wanted to go into finance. I saw all these guys drinking, partying, having a great time making big money, and I thought, geez, you know, that's what I want. Mm -hmm. I was a shy, insecure kid, and for the opportunity, I just wanted to become an outgoing, confident guy. And uh, when I started drinking, it it enabled me to do that. Uh, And during high school, during college, I would drink, but I wouldn't drink often because I knew if I had a few drinks, I didn't know where it would stop. I knew I didn't have an off switch. Mm -hmm. 
So I kept it like that. When I graduated college, I had gotten thrown out of my parents' house. Um, I got involved with a lot of the wrong people, made some bad decisions. And my father told me, listen, I don't live that way. We might not have money, but we don't. We have integrity. You're not living here this way. Mm-hmm. Graduating college, I was living with a girl, and I said to my dad, if I keep living with this girl, my life's never going to be on track. Um, can I come home? And he said, sure. Here are the rules. And I had a, I had a 10 o'clock curfew seven days a week at 22. I had a BMW I bought with um, earning money the wrong way. I had to give him the keys and drive my mother. had a Volkswagen with a bungee cord holding the hood down, and that was my new car address. And, um, and I wasn't going to drink, and I didn't drink. I went nine months without a drink because I wasn't at that point full-fledged addiction. I had the personality, but I wasn't you know, in the grips of it. Graduate college, buy a house, and now it's just me. And I'm my only roommate. And after work every day, I'd go out with some guys, and I'd have some scotch, and that's how it started. And then it progressed. I'd go out work earlier. And then before you know it, I was having drinks at lunch. And things were okay on the outside. And then I... I ended up getting into a fight and breaking my hand and having some, a couple of different surgeries from a few fights. And that that's what alcohol did to me. It had me fighting. I was hanging out with the wrong group of people. I'm getting in fist fights at nightclubs and having surgeries. And that's when um, I Percocet entered the picture. I got a script for Percocet and I started taking it. And I wouldn't even take it as much as prescribed. I even took less because I loved the way I felt. So I didn't want to use it all up. That should have been my first clue. You know, I loved it. Um, at that point, alcohol and drugs weren't a, weren't a problem at all. They were my drug solution. You know, they made my life better. On the outside, I got, you know, more houses, faster cars, faster girls. You know, I lived a fast life, just like those guys at that nightclub I used to watch. What I didn't know was when those guys went home, they went home to hell. Bad marriages, poor life choices, loneliness, depression, anxiety. And I found that out real quick because on the outside, things were getting better, but on the inside, I was dying slowly. Um, I'll never forget calling my dad from a Miami hotel. And I had flown a bunch of friends down there on my tab. They were all at the pool, partying with girls. I'm in the bathroom calling my father crying, saying, Dad, I feel so lonely. Here I am, uh, surrounded by people and lonely. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's just where the disease takes you. You know, I mean, that's what happens. You feel that isolated, lonely feeling. And the only way you can numb that is alcohol or drugs. And over the years, it, it got progressively worse. And then at 27, I had some surgeries and they found some tumors. They started giving me Oxycontin, and uh, that was lights off from there. From that point on, I, I knew I loved Oxycontin. I wanted that feeling, and I never wanted to feel anything but that. I took more and more, and when the script ran out, I, I ended up buying them on the street, and I was buying a lot. Uh, at the very end, the last two years of my addiction, I was spending $1,000 a day, between 900 and 1100 every day on pills. I blew through legitimately millions of dollars. Um, I drove a business into the ground, and I lost that, and uh, I bought and in the end, I found myself, like every person does who swears that they would never be a junkie. You know, that stigma, junkie, I would never be a junkie. It's too, I've already graduated college, I got a good job. You know, that, that's not for me. I found myself shooting heroin on the streets, begging for money, and then in jail. And that's when you have the wake-up call? Yeah, I got a real, uh, it's funny, God works in funny ways. I go to the edge of the block that I was on in jail, and I look down from my cell, and I can see that when I'm 24 and 25, I had these amazing mentors, that were these lawyers in Cambridge. And they would give me the biggest cases of my career. They would just hand them to me. I didn't even have to work for the business. It just came to me. I had an office and a parking spot for my Mercedes. And here I am looking down at that spot from a jail cell, <laughs> thinking two things. One, how did this happen? My first thought, how did this happen? My second one was, God, you give me one more chance and I won't drop the ball. And, uh, and that's what happened. From there on, I got that opportunity. 
Um, you know, I, I read a book that talks, talks about overcoming obstacles and what a gift they are. And it's true, behind every mountain, there's another mountain. Absolutely. And it's a gift. You know, you get so much stronger when you go through these obstacles. You find your purpose in life. If I didn't have this happen to me, I would just be a normal financial advisor, married, you know, house, picket fence, two kids, and one and a half dogs, whatever the cliche is. <laughs> You know, and, and that would be a sin because my true passion is helping addicts and alcoholics. I started a program at the jail that I was at. I ended up in Billerica House Corrections. I now have a program there every Friday morning. I work with inmates over, about overcoming obstacles. And I run it with a young man who I sponsor, and I helped him get clean. We go in every week. And now here's the jail where I was, you know, an inmate. Now I have a free pass to walk in freely. I can wander around. It's it, it's unreal, and it's such a blessing. Like people laugh. They go, "You just go sit. You walk on the block where all the inmates are. And you just pull up a seat of some guy who's having coffee and chat." And I'm like, "Yeah, I feel two places. I feel at home: in front of a conference room full of clients, or in front of a jail full of inmates. It just feels natural to me. Business came very natural to me. I was very lucky. It's very easy for me to have professional success. Um, you know, four years ago, I was just getting back on my feet. I wasn't even on my feet. Three years ago, I was getting back on my feet." And uh, today, you know, I'm rushing back to a hotel room to talk to you. I'm in New York City. I get to bring my mother. I'm here on business. But I came a few days extra early so I could take her to a Broadway show. And uh, I'm, I'm here to film for CNN, CNBC, and Fox News for financial advising. Yeah. I mean, four years ago, I'm on the news. Or five years ago, I'm on the news for breaking the law. And now this. Yeah. It just, it's, it's such a blessing. And um, it, a lot of it's because I work for myself. So I was able to build myself up. And, and guys like Tom, I got a PR guy named Tom who, who really helped me build up my reputation again and get out there and that, that enabled me to come back. But you know, what's sad is there are so many folks that didn't work for themselves. They had a job at a, at a business and when they lost all of it and now, now people don't want to hire them. Like you said, there's that thing, oh, a person's a drug addict, you know, they might steal, they might do that. And I'll tell you right now, I, I hire people in recovery all the time. They are the best employees you're going to get. You're never going to find somebody who's a harder worker because we get addicted to work. Yes. <laughs> Just like anything else. <laughs> Well, actually, let's let's talk about that. I mean, addiction is is you know it doesn't matter what the drug of choice is, so to speak. You know, th- th- some people just do have that addictive nature. You know, got to have something to strive for, to succeed at, uh, to excel at, and uh, you know, it's, and it's um you know if you don't give it a, a healthy source, a healthy outlet it will always go down that other path. You know, this, the frill seekers, and uh, as business came to you so easily, you know, it, you didn't really have to work so hard for that. Um, so, but what you were always doing is, uh, is chasing that elusive rabbit, that elusive happiness. And, sure. the, you know, and that happiness isn't in the pills, it isn't in the bottle, it isn't even in the success, as you found out. Um, the illusion is there, and that's what society likes to paint up. You will be happy when you have, you know, the million-dollar home and the fast cars and, as you say, the fast women. <laughs> but the happiness comes from the inside out, doesn't it? And if you're not content with who you are, what you're here for, what your contribution is to life, um, you truly don't understand what joy is. And it requires looking in. You were a lucky one, not only for the fact that you woke I up. I know that. Uh, you know, you woke up, you were alive. How many, you know, d- um, go beyond and, uh, you know, that's it, the overdose. But you also woke up uh, literally and, and looked out and go, this has got to stop. I have to change my path. And for so many addicts, that I think that stigma, that shame, that I feel a loser, I'm never going to get out of this cycle, you know, it's very hard for them to move on, for them to go, this is my wake-up call. Because they're still so caught up in that cycle, aren't they? 
Well, yeah, it's you brought up a, a number of good points. First and foremost, um, I was blessed, but uh, believe me, I had my overdose. I had eight overdoses. Um, the last one, I had tried to commit suicide with heroin and clonopin, with both arms being shot, and um, they brought me back there to put a needle in my heart. Um, in that time, the reason, like you just said it, and the reason I was trying to commit suicide was simple. I was a drug addict. I was at the bottom. There was no hope for me. Mm. People just looked down on me. And I thought I could never come back. That hopeless feeling that only a drug addict or alcoholic knows. When you just at that very last minute, and you just say, geez, I, I can't do it anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. The game's rigged. I can't win. And um, after I came back from that, I, I just knew. I looked at my dad, and we were in the uh, ICU, and I said, Dad, I'll never do drugs again. Here's this big, strong, tough guy. Looks at me with tears in his eyes. He says, Ryan, I don't even want to hear it. Because you know, I said that so many times. It's like the word sorry. I don't even use that anymore. But I didn't. You know, that's the one promise I kept. And uh, to this day, knock on wood, um, you know, I always tell people I'm not an addict. I'm a person in recovery. Yeah. You know, that Ryan was an addict when he was putting a needle on his arm. The person I am today, I'm a financial advisor. I'm a fiance. I'm a stepfather. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm a sponsor. I'm a sponsor. I'm a lot of things in life. But the last thing I am is an addict. And, um, don't get me wrong. I still do the legwork. I go to meetings. You know what I mean? I sponsor guys. I check in with the sponsor. I still stay plugged in enough because I know where it would go. Yeah. But uh, another point you brought up, which is so true, it's it's like, it's that form of addiction. Like, I chase everything. I mean, I chase business. My business now is probably five times what it was at that age because now I'm so focused and it gives me the opportunity to hire new people and help other people build their life and create opportunity. I mentor folks. Now, that's a great gift. When you've got somebody who's got kids in college and you're mentoring to double their business, what a rush that is, you know? Uh, your sponsorship's awesome. Uh, going to the gym, I mean, I, I stay in shape like I'm 20 years old. That's a gift of not drinking. No calories, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I eat everything. You know, I have, I, I have a childlike way about me because I goof around a lot because I realize how, how over-serious I took life and how if I just keep the right thing serious, the other stuff falls into place. Like, where it falls into place, if I stay right with God and I'm out doing work and trying to help other people, you know, I'm not talking about God in the sky on a throne or anything. Right. I'm talking about that God inside of us. That each of us, what ties us, there's some kind of energy that ties us all together. I mean, I don't have it all figured out, but I know that we don't come from nowhere and go nowhere. I think there's just some kind of, something that brings us together. And, uh, and, and I think that energy is love. You know, yes. and I think it's very easy to show love to people. You know, I, I see people on the sidewalk. My mother laughs. We'll, we'll walk around New York City, and I'm stopping and talking to every homeless person. I'll, I'll talk to a homeless person before I talk to a celebrity because I just, I've been there. I've begged for money. I know that pain and, and all the, you know, it's easy to throw a buck in somebody's cup. It's, it's much different when you say to somebody, hey, what's your name? You know, how'd this happen? Oh, that was there once, you know, and you talk to them on their level. And I think that's, it's, that's probably the biggest, I mean, I got so many gifts out of addiction. I have to tell you, I have better people in my life. You know, I have all the bells and whistles. It all came back. I mean, I just built a house with my fiance. I got a nice high-end car and it's all stuff and stuff's great. If the inside's right, the outside stuff could be fun, but it's not going to fill the inside, you know, that whole yeah. inside. I would be filled with love. You know, I have an amazing fiance. You know, I'm engaged. I was married once before. I was a zero of a husband. I wasn't faithful. I wasn't honest. I wasn't kind. And now I'm all those things. You know, I'm, I'm about to be a stepfather again. And I have three awesome stepkids, and, and they're, just, they're just awesome. You know, and they're challenging at times, but we have just such a good time, you know. And, and I realize nothing really gets me frazzled. I'll take them to a high-end restaurant, these young kids, and uh, – I think because if they want to go out there, sure. And, and they go in there and, you know, my fiance gets nervous, like, are we too loud? Are we too this? And I just don't worry. And I, I have such a different way about me. I, I don't stress about the nonsense. Yes. And actually, when you think about it, 
uh, uh, that common denominator is the long, uh, nonsense. I call it society's expectation. And there's this dictation yeah. that we should be this way. We can only be happy if we're that way. Um, we have to conform. Um, you know, we yeah. ha have to comply. And everything is about what we need to do for society to fit in and the status quo. Uh, but nowhere are we taught to look in and love ourselves and that light, you know, wh whether you call it God, whether you call it source, energy, whatever, but that loving light that's within us. Look at a child. They radiate love and joy. And then all of a sudden they go to school. And everything is kind of beaten out of them. Those wonderful dreams. I call them divas. And it's an acronym for to be a dreamer, inspirer, visionary, and aspire to make it happen. Children are born that way. We are all born that way. But society comes along and in its expectation beats out any form of dreams from us and says, you must conform and follow this path. This is what is expected of you. And that child that was within you that was desperately wanting to come out was that child of love, of light, of purpose, and realizing it wasn't what society has dictated. It's what you knew intricately what was in yourself because your parents had taught it to you. You knew what that light was, but you got lured away by that, by that illusion of what it should be. And we really have to be very, very careful about the wool that's being pulled over our eyes, don't we? Yeah, it's so true. You know, we, we ta we're taught to live this way. You know, the perfect body, the perfect this. You know, gain 10 pounds for a guy, lose 10 pounds for a girl, this, that. You'll be happy here, there. Yeah. Buy this sweater, buy this shirt. You know, I used to be so caught up in the BS. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't even wear a tie to work anymore. I say to clients, hey, if you want to come on board, this is who I am. I'm not, I'm not a shirt and tie kind of guy. I'm just who I am. I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm done conforming. I spent so much of my life trying to be who you'd want me to be. And now I'm finally right with me. You know, I always tell people I'm not perfect, but I'm perfectly me. Yes. You know, and that's just it. And you look at a child, how can you deny that there's something greater? Yeah. I mean, kids are so good. You know, you put a child playing on the beach. My ex-wife had two kids, and I love them to death. And I still remember seeing them play on the beach, and I saw the, uh, the water and the sun and these two, and I thought, there's just something perfect. And I spent so much time chasing it with some other stuff. And, and now I just, you know, I can't tell you, I meditate a lot. I'm real into that. I do a lot of positive reading. As far as I'm concerned, if it's not something positive, I just don't read it. You know, I don't get a lot of time in the day. So if I'm going to read something that's going to enhance me as a human being and help me to love other people. But that in itself is raising the vibration. You know, this is what people don't understand. We're all energy. Every single particle of us is energy. Everything around us has an energy signature. And for all the scientists, everything is a mathematical equation. They can measure everything. If we raise our vibration by choosing to live positively conscious, you know, awakening in kindness and love, you know, and I love what the Pope said, I don't care what faith you are, as long as it's based in, based in love and kindness. If we simply, on that principle, treated each other with respect, love and kindness, we would raise this vibration up in the world and there would not be so much discontent and, uh, and you know, things like that has recently happened, all these killings. That comes from people that have no consciousness within them because they haven't been switched on. They're empty, they're lost, and we have got to help people find themselves by raising that vibration and inviting them to the chorus, to the, to the harmony. Yeah, I agree with you, absolutely. I think that every, you're always radiating some energy. And, um, like they're saying, I don't know if it was Newton or whoever did the study regarding atoms, for every positive, there's a like, and, and there's a negative. And when you put positive out, it attracts positive, it's an energy. And, yes. uh, and I think you can bring out, I mean, you put me in front of anybody, I'm going to pull out something in front of the good with them. 
I'm going to try to pull the positive out of them before I let them pull the negative out of me. And, uh, and that's just how you have to live sometimes. I mean, there are a lot of negative people and there would still be some tragedy, but I think there's a lot of things we could do if we acted out of love that would probably reduce some of these things. I think, you know, this country as a whole, I mean, we're a great country. We're probably the best one in the world, but there's still a lot of judgments. There's a lot of stigmas. There's a lot of, you know, turning the back or you'll be in cold towards other folks. You know, it's a lot of things we could be changing. And talking about the stigma, um, you know, you're um, advocating a state without stigma um, under yeah. the leadership of Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker, um, you know, wanting to make sure that the stigma is not there, that people are given a chance. You know, it's like the old things, you know, um, you know, you can't throw, what is it, the saying, you can't throw stones at someone and you're without them reflecting back on you or something, because who has not made a mistake? you know um and those mistakes are our lessons in life and it's what we do with it from here from now that is important and if you keep painting somebody with their mistake and not believing in what their possibilities are and creating an opportunity that's the reason why you have people keep going on the same cycle if you get rid of that stigma and you say i see your possibilities let's create an opportunity now you're actually presenting presenting something that is productive and beneficial to the whole yeah absolutely i think that there's so many ways to to get the good out of people and there's that saying you put one finger at somebody else and there's three pointing back at you yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and yeah. i love that because yeah. it's so true anytime i'm about to criticize somebody else that someone else that's because i'm not good with ryan when i'm being critical of my fiance and my sister or any and even my sponsees or guys in the group that i run it's because I'm on edge because something's not right inside of Ryan. So I'm going to take it out on you, find the negative in you because I feel negative in me. Yeah. And it's so true. And that state without stigma, you know, it's awesome. Charlie Baker, he really has just changed things. I've been fortunate. I've been tied in with this guy, Vince Pero and Michael Higgins. Vince is the chief of probation in Woburn, Mass. And he runs that courthouse. And Mike Higgins was a former probation officer there. And they ran a program called HEAT, called Heroin Education and Addiction Task Force. And um, I, was, I was a former member, a guy who was involved in it on the recovery side. And now last year I spoke at the state conference, and this year I'll be there this Friday to watch and you know, meet and greet people. And these guys, they just saw this problem before it even exploded. I'm going back like 10, 12 years ago, and uh, they've been, just been ahead of it. And it's still, I mean, it's still taking over our town, our community, but at least they're trying to work with people and get them into recovery and get them to rebuild lives. But I also see a huge stigma on the side of recovery people. For example, when you're in programs or in recovery, they tell you, you know, well, you're an addict, you're an alcoholic, um, you know, this is what you should do. I mean, I've, I've had a kid who was capable of going back to a plumbing business, a good job, and he had somebody tell him, no, just go get a get well job, just do this or that. And they teach some people to settle for less. And, and I think that's terrible. Yes. I think it, we, you know, we make it so people, we put a ceiling on so high people can go. Oh, they're an addict. They can go, oh, get this job. This is good for an addict. No, I think that's nonsense. That's BS. Uh, you're not an addict. You're whatever your, your trade is. If you're a plumber, you're a plumber. If you're a financial advisor, you're a financial advisor. Like, don't go take some terrible job that you don't want because that's the stuff, in my opinion, that leads people back to using. Mm. Help them to build a miserable life, they're going to go back. You help somebody to build a life that they love, that they cherish, and that they don't jeopardize. I got news for you. From Speaking from experience, I'm not picking up again. Somebody wants me to get high, they have to hold me down. I have too good of a life. I have too much to lose. And I have too much positive and love in my life. You know, and I do so much with my time in a positive way. There's not a lot of lag time. There's a lot of, not a lot of negativity in my day. 
and and you know by choosing to take that path you know it's everybody has some form of label maybe it's an addic addiction or maybe they're a cancer survivor or maybe they have something else those are those challenges in life those are the things that are there to kind of keep him in check and that you know if you falter that is you know what's going to tap you on the shoulder it's what you drives you forward to to be healthier to be better to be more meaningful in life but this whole thing about labeling people you are an addict um i recently interviewed a wonderful young woman that went to school with my daughter and she was an addict for oh gosh a good 13 years of her life but a very functioning one um you know that she held down a good job she was in a you know on radio and everything and and uh, you know people didn't know um and then she ended up on the streets homeless and it was you know, got it got to that point of do I sell my body for a trick? And then that was her bottom line. No, I won't. And, you know, finally turned things around. And now she is that beacon of hope for other people that you can change and that you don't have to be um, that stigma of what you once were. And that there's always a reason of why you were there. You're always a reason why you chose that path. And it's you have to look to the core reason and make sure that you don't repeat it and nurture it so that you don't go back there again. We've got to stop with the judgment, haven't we? Absolutely. And I think that's great what you, the story about your daughter's friend. Um, it's amazing. You know, some of us, I was such a functioning addict for so long. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was doing $1,000 worth of Oxycontin a day and running people's money and doing meetings all day. And my clients knew that I like to have a few drinks and party, but nobody. I mean, when I went to them and said, hey, listen, I'm a heroin addict. I got to get you to a new advisor. I got to figure some things out. I can't service you. People were shocked. Even now when people meet me, you, you weren't, a, yeah, but at least you didn't do heroin. I'm like, no, I did. <laughs> like, you know, people, they can't, you know, when you're wearing a nice suit and you're driving a nice car, people think that, you know, what, he could never be an addict. And that's so important because this thing about we can overcome things. We can do really big things with our lives. And it's, it's up to us. I mean, we have that choice every single day. And, you know, this bottom that there, we hear. Ryan, oh, sorry, and, no, 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 because it's, it's exactly what you, people assume because you're in the nice suit and driving the car, you can't be an addict. But who can afford Absolutely. the $1,000 a day addiction but people that are driving the fast cars and wearing the suits, right? Absolutely. The, the guy on you the street get, can't do that. Yeah, the guy on the street's begging for maybe some alcohol, maybe a little dope. Mm -hmm. The guy who's got a serious pill problem, the pill business, the reason those guys are still making money is because guys that can afford the big money. You've got actors, movies. So why do you think they have such yeah. bad... When you hit a bottom, my bottom was so deep because my addiction, I could afford so much. At the very end, it was just... I mean, I could do... Even when it was heroin, I could do five, $600 worth of heroin a day, which is outrageous. Yes. That would last people months. And that's because my addiction got so, so far ahead. But, you know, you talk about a purpose and there's a reason. It's absolutely a reason we hit that bottom. Before, I was a nice guy. I was never, you know, they always say, be careful who you pass on the way up because you pass them on the way down to. <laughs> and I thank God I was nice to people because people were kind to me. I was a nice guy even before that. I mean, I was the type of guy, I saw a homeless guy, I'd give him money, I'd talk to him. I just always felt bad for people, never thinking it would be me. And now, now I can relate to it. It's not just like, because before I used to think, well, why didn't they stop? God, if it was getting bad, why not stop? Yeah. But, you know, the bottom is nothing more than a springboard. And that it's all what you make of it, how far up you want to go, because the sky's the limit. I mean, I want to do a lot of TV things. So I'm starting with the CNN and CNBC stuff, and then I'm going to parlay into other things because I enjoy, something I want to enjoy. It's just things I'm putting on my bucket list. But I want to spread more about recovery also. I don't want to just be on TV about finance and go back to Ryan's world, you know, getting okay. in shape, making money, having a nice fiance, and, and getting selfish again. Like, I have to make sure that I pay this forward. As much as I'd like to keep that part of my past where it is in the past, if I have the opportunity to help somebody, 
even if it damages my reputation a little, I, I have to do it. I'm obligated. The only way it will damage your reputation is for people that choose to be arrogant or ignorant about it. Um, you know, it's, it, I think it's so much more commendable when somebody, you know, owns a journey that they've taken. And then, you know, from that journey now, that meaningful purpose of what you're doing for humanity is you couldn't have done it. You couldn't relate. You couldn't have the impact you have. Uh, you couldn't stand tall with these people and change their lives had you not taken that path yourself. It is where you are now and what you're doing for tomorrow that counts. Where you've been was just your life's lesson in getting you there. Um, we have no right to judge people on the mistakes that they've made because we don't know where they were at that time. It's what they're doing now that counts. So if those people judge you, then it's, it's their own. Very often, something that's within them that they're unwilling to see. So it's very easy, as you said before, point three fingers back at somebody else because uh, I always say, take it up with your mirror. What does your mirror tell you? <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I like that. It's funny you say some other stuff because I, I feel the same way. I look at it as, I, I, so long I get nervous about it here and there, obviously. When people come on as new clients, you get nervous. My old, my existing clients, once you're a client, you find out everything about me so it's easy. But, you know, when you don't first meet somebody, you don't say, hey, I'd like to manage your retirement. By the way, I'm a heroin addict and a convicted criminal. And, you know, so... <laughs> When people come on board, I, every so often you wonder what they hear. One guy walks in and he says, geez, you know, I, I, read, I saw your story, right? And he says to me, Ryan, you know, I got to tell you, I was blown away. I'm like, yeah, it was a rough past. I'm like, but, you know, I'm trying to help others. He's like, we were just so impressed and so touched. And the guy writes a check for $2 million that day. First time he's ever met me face to face. He's heard about me. He gets referred to me. He writes, no question asked. He said, I'm so impressed. About two weeks before that, I have a couple who invested about a million and a half. Two days later, I'm going back to see them with the contracts that they had set up. And I get a call from my receptionist. The wife wanted a copy of the contract. And I called her. I said, well, don't send it via email because it's not a protected email. I don't want to send their personal info that way. So I called the client. She didn't answer. I called the husband. He answers. He said, well, Ryan, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. You didn't tell us that you were a convicted thug and a heroin addict. Like, I, we want our money back. And uh, that was the first time I'd say in about three years I felt like a junkie. Because, mm. you know, you don't get that feeling off. When you drive around, you're looking good and healthy and you're clean cut and and I, and I said to him, excuse me? He said, well, you know, you never told us that stuff. And I said, I, I just don't advertise it. I said, that's not who I am. That's who I was. And uh, that's not who you met. And so anyways, he's like, okay, well, you know, we have to think about things. I said, no, nah, there's nothing to think about. So we'll make sure you get your money back. So, you know, I sent it back. And uh, I thought to myself, aren't these people so ignorant? At first, yes. once I got over the hurt, I thought, aren't they ignorant? And God, I hope, I pray to God. At first, I was thinking awful. But <laughs> and I said, I pray to God that they never feel the pain that my parents felt that they never have to know what it's like or have to be able to understand it. And hopefully they stay that far away from it that they don't even have to understand pain. But I said at some point, everybody feels pain. Yes, I'm sorry. It's the human thing. It's what we're here for is to understand the pain and to understand the love. Um, there is another young man that I, I interviewed who got caught up on, on Oxycontin and became the dealer. And, uh, you know, then it, it, for him, the, the and he held down a full-time job as well, and, you know, for his breaking point was, you know, the gun under the pillow and who's coming up the driveway and just couldn't live like that anymore. And he now lectures at schools about the unsexiness of being a drug dealer and the unsexiness of being a slave to the drug, because that's what you are, right? You're a slave. Um, and taking back your freedom, taking back your empowerment. And, you know, if you were so good at that, why can't you be good at something else? 
you know, uh, right? I tell those inmates at the jail every time I say, you guys should all go into business, some kind of business of your own, because if you can survive as a drug addict, you have to wheel and deal and BS yeah. and lie and, and be, you know, so slick. If you put that in a positive way, you invite God in, you stop praying on it and asking for energy to help others, you'll be a superstar. Exactly, and, uh, exactly. It's funny, I get, some of these guys get out and, and they really do, they hit the cover off the ball. And others don't because they want to go back to their old life. They want quick money. And quick money comes with quick problems. Yeah. You know, early in my career, I, I closed cases much more intense with clients. You came in, you got 45 minutes with me. I slid the pen across the desk, and I closed you hard. Now I don't close anything. You know, a client asked me the other day, or a potential client, why aren't you going to pitch me? Or when are you going to pitch me? I said, I don't pitch anybody. I said, you know, the way I look at God puts right people in the seat. If I'm meant to service you, you're going to ask me. You're going to say, hey, Ryan, can we move forward? I said, no, no pressure. I said, call me if you want to move forward. If not, good luck with things. And free will. He was blown away. He was yeah. blown away. Yeah, exactly. Well, how mean, do you run a business that way? No, <laughs> it runs the, pretty that well is that the way. way. Business is done now. I call that conscious business because you know I I look at it this way. Just like you are doing on the show right now, you're inspiring someone. That therefore you've become an invitation. And that's really what we need to do: is inspire people by who we are, what we stand for, what we have to offer, and that becomes that invitation for that interaction that invitation to uh, to connect and work with somebody, to be so inspired that you want to take your own journey. But, you know, this old salesmanship, you know, um, buy now, you know, you know, buy low, sell high, all this crap is just yeah, not the way exactly. anything is done anymore. You know, it is about I stand tall and who I am and what I have to offer. But I'm not going to force you to buy. You buy because you believe in me. I, and this is what we say to everybody nowadays. You have to sell yourself before you can sell any product. You are the product. If they're not going to buy you, be, if they don't believe in you, they're not going to believe in your product. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And these are, this is for me, it's people's whole life savings. Yes. On the end of the day, I tell them, I don't even manage your money. I say, listen, I have an analyst. I have a whole team. They run the money. My job is just to know you know who you are, know what you're trying to achieve, your goals, your concerns, your biggest fears, and try to make sure I can help you. That's it. And then I handle that. So, so all you need to do is decide, hey, does this guy have my best interest at heart? Do I trust his judgment? Do I get that feeling in my stomach? And if you don't, I tell people, if you don't, don't call back for the next appointment. You don't have to come because you need to be with somebody who you feel comfortable Absolutely. with. And I wasn't like that before. Now I truly believe every minute of the day, every interaction is an opportunity to just feel love. Mm -hmm. And I can either show love or I could show greed, selfishness, and try to manipulate people. And at the end of the day, I'm going to get what I want. I mean, there were days where I would close huge deals, but I'd feel like scum after because I'd feel like, well, I pushed this person into it or it wasn't in their best interest. Now I truly just make sure I do service hell on people, give them the best opportunity possible. Then I just leave the rest to just love it. Leave it to that source. But you know, that is, that is the currency. You know, you're dealing with the tool, money, but the currency is that love and respect. That's where the true value Absolutely. lies. And the value lies in the worth of the people and their future. That's where the true value lies. And, you know, we've really got to stop looking at money as being the be-all and the end-all. It's become such a dictator, and people have become such a slave to it. And yes, as human beings, we need money. And I'm going to say, go make a shitload of money. But make sure you now seed some of that as an opportunity for someone else, because that's yeah. the reason you became rich is so that you can pay it forward or pay it back, Absolutely. whatever the case is. There's a quote from the Bible I love, to whom much is given, much is expected. Mm -hmm. 
Exactly. You're blessed. I mean, I've been blessed. I have an obligation to pay it forward to other folks. I have an ob- obligation financially to help the next person. One, it's easy to write a check sometime and not do any of your time. Uh, a deacon at my church recently said to me last week, and I said, I saw this girl who has kids and who has kids and um, she's kind of rough and I feel bad. Anything I could do help financially? He said, no, he said, but you're always willing to write a check. He said, why not get involved here and volunteer sometimes? Mm-hmm. And he got me there. I did it, but I didn't want to, you know? Well, and that's, there are other that's times the greatest you're... gift you can give, though, is time. And well, that's the thing that we, you know, is so precious. Let's yes. face it, money, if you have money, money's not that precious, but your time and, and mm-hmm. your kindness. Mm-hmm. And so I realized that. I said, you know what? I was so quick, because in a lot of areas, like there's another council and concern in the next town over where my office is in Woburn. And they don't need my time, but they need the funds. So when the kids, every year when the school gets out, I buy all the summer clothes and the flip-flops and all that jazz for all the kids and pay for their summer camp. And it's an opportunity, one, for us to donate as a business. And two, you know, as a person, I mean, we exceed our our charitable donation amount by maybe triple every year. So it's not about that. It's about just the feeling. I try to explain to a lady there, I said, Sandy, you don't get it. You're helping people who, these little kids, their parents most likely have addiction or they have it in their family. There's a reason they're so broke. And I was that person. So if I can help out without handing cash to somebody who really should have cash in their pocket, what a gift. Exactly. And, you know, that is really the important thing. Sorry, folks, we had a drop there. Um, you know, the, the beautiful gift about giving, whether it's just a, you know, a, a drop in the bucket or whether it's a notion, um, it's seeding possibilities by feeding joy. When you give somebody joy, that gift, you know, that's not the check. It's what it buys, the, the camaraderie of those kids in a camp. You know, the, the laughter and the wonderment of what is possible. They capitulate that joy that I want to feel like this again. What do I have to do to feel like this? And it's not running through the jar of the drugs. It's realizing that it's togetherness. It's being united with people. It's standing tall with people. Seeding little opportunities. Um, it goes so, so far. Let's talk about your Ryan's Fund and what it is doing for people. Uh, thank you for uh, bringing that up. Yeah, what we tried to do was May 1st, or no, May 5th of last year, excuse me, May 5th of last year, I look at the Boston Herald, and on the cover is a little girl named Jocelyn, and she's holding a picture frame with a picture of her mother on one side and a picture of her father on the other. They both overdosed within two weeks of each other and died. Wow. None of her family, none of their family wanted her. So here's this little 10-year-old girl, beautiful mm. little girl, nobody wants her. And they, she came in open. Now, don't get me wrong, this girl must have a slew of issues. She's 10. If your mother's a heroin addict, you probably saw some prostitution, some illegal stuff. She's very traumatized, there's no question. She's still a little girl. She's a 10-year-old little girl. All she needs is love. She just needs a hug. So I called up and I said, listen, there was a parish in South Boston. And I called the um, parish center and I talked to one of the priests here and I said, listen, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to adopt this girl. I'd like to look into it. And he said, well, are you qualified? So I had two stepkids before and my fiance has three kids. She's a great mother. And, I mean, and I'm a recovered addict so I can relate to what she's going through. And uh, they, they looked into my past. They said, no, well, you have a criminal record. There's no way. And I said, and now here's a South Boston, of course, me with my mouth. I commented that he's a priest from South Boston, which was like, notorious for the wrong thing and criticizing and judging. But that's all right. You know, it just shows you that even the, even religious organizations judge probably more so than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so they didn't, they wouldn't even let us help her out. So, but what inspired me to do, I said, geez, uh, I have a lot of friends who have passed that have kids. And I'm still involved in their kids' lives. I grew up with that wrestling with my friend uh, Joe's son a couple weeks back. And, you know, I, I still do that stuff. I saw, but 
that's where the problem lies. That's what becomes an intergenerational thing. I mean, let's face it, these kids, your parents overdose from drugs. Your whole life, there's a stigma. Oh, his mm-hmm. dad overdosed from drugs. You know, I mean, when you were young, when I was younger, it would be that kid's parents are divorced. Nowadays, it's still that person's father was a drug addict, the mother the drug addict. And that right there, boom, it's bred into these kids. So I said, fine, we're going to do something to break the cycle. Either to get these kids into school so when they get to college, there's an opportunity to go there, or to get them the counseling at a young age, or if the kids have lost both parents, to do all of the above. Just, I mean, these kids, they need so much more than just education. These kids need love, time, affection. They, they need to know that they, they matter, you know? And so what I said was, well, the one thing I can do is I can raise funds. If I can't get to know this kid personally and help her out, I can be damn sure she goes to college, you know? And and with the, some of the opportunities, the speaking opportunities, where they offer to pay, I, I, I tell them, no, I'd rather you donate to the fund. I don't, I don't want to make money. And uh, it's just the way God's been good to me. You know, exactly. I've been very blessed, I, you know, and I have all the blessings I could ask for. Yeah, I have the money, the house, the business. That's great. I have an amazing fiance. Like, she's my best friend. You know, I have, you know, I'm, when I go on business trips, I either bring my mother or father because she can't take the trips. Uh, it's just, I have good people in my life. I have amazing friends. I got guys in the program that are like brothers. And, and I just have, I have a lot of nice clients that I enjoy seeing day to day. So with all that stuff, all I, all I want to do is pay it forward with my time. Uh, I'm hoping that's what we can do with this fund. First and foremost, I want to help kids that lost parents to addiction. That's my biggest pet peeve. Any, and then anything to do with poverty, because most people that are poor are either addicts or mental illness, if you look on the streets. Yes. And, um, and I have both. I have bipolar disorder also. So for me, it was a number of things to get straightened out when I got straightened out. So I'd like to help any of those or all of the above if we can. And, and then you have veterans coming back, kids from overseas that are used to using opiates while they're overseas because there's so much heroin and opium over there. And these kids have been to hell and back, and, and we just leave these veterans just kind of rot on the street, and they can wander into the VA once a week for counseling. That's not enough. No. We owe them more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, one of my pet peeves, I've done quite a number of shows on, on that. It's You know, they call them the forgotten heroes. You know, if they come back all whole and... And, uh, you know, then it's, you know, the, the, the big hero, if they come back broken in any way, it's uh, disposable. And uh, again, that disposable nation, um, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder isn't just for veterans. It's, you know, for those young children that are left behind because their parents were the drug addicts. There's going to be a question along the line there. Did they not love me enough, you know, to stop being an addict? They don't realize it, it, it is a disease. Um, I never thought of that. And uh, you know, and it, you know, for for a child, it's it's always they take it on. What did I do wrong? Because, you know, that's what's pointed at them. You know, I must have done something wrong for this to have happened. And it's giving that child back their self worth, that love, that you mean something. It was your parents' choice. That choice wasn't yours. Don't take it on. And you know, for the for the soldier that comes back. You did your duty, and now you've come back a different person. You cannot be the same person that left. And now you have to adjust back to who you are. And that means letting go of trauma that you've experienced over there. That takes time. If we're not going to give these people the respect of time, love, and care, and something to look forward to, some meaningful purpose to find in their lives, then we've you know, gained that disposable society which has just become so morally wrong in life. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of these kids coming back and some of them look whole on the outside and they just broke it on the inside. Yeah. yeah. 
and with the kids, like you said, I like the fact you brought up that you know they didn't love me enough. You know, mm-hmm. I think back to my stepkids, and when I saw I, my ex's wife's stepkids, and they they were like my own children. I raised them from a young age, and um, you know, when we got divorced. I was still friendly with her at first. I would see the kids, and then of course as life changes, she got moody, and I don't get to see them anymore. And uh, I remember when I would see them, though, I made them so short, like it's very clear to them, and I almost I choke up saying it. I said, guys, I love you. You know, I didn't have a choice. I, I made once I gave, made the wrong choice, I lost all options. And I try to teach them that because now they were getting older. I said, guys, you gotta understand. If you make the wrong choice once, you might lose the freedom to make any more. Mm-hmm. That's and that's what happens. I mean, I've had some surgeries and recovery, and I've had to be on medication here and there. But over the winter, I broke some ribs and uh, I cracked some vertebrae. And now the doctors were trying to tell me to take pain medication. I said, you know what? I, I don't want to make the wrong choice and give up my opportunity to choose going forward. I'll have to deal with the pain. You know, and, and that's the thing. If it's not a surgery or something outrageously major, I realize right now I have a choice. But I also know that I am a person in recovery. And if I make the wrong choice, I won't be in recovery anymore. And, you know, today there are so many options that we're now aware of. Um, you know, I have a business partner who's broken his back four times. Um, he's broken about 30 bones in his body. Um, classified as a paraplegic, but taught himself to walk again after each one of these. He also has Parkinson's and OCD. And uh, yeah, a very brilliant man uh, with the ability to see things that are actually quite incredible. Um, that now has come up with a, a wonderful new tool that we're um, about to, uh, to launch uh, later this year. He healed himself through energetic healing because he refuses to touch the drugs, refused to have any operations. And it took him time, it took him dedication, but he completely has healed all his bones. If you go over the bones where the breaks were that were literally ridged, no longer ridged. So the healing that we can do on our bodies that don't have to be based in drugs or surgery is massive. We have to just open up our minds and be open to try things that will work on us because there's a hell of a lot of energy healing, holistic healing, vibrational healing out there uh, that works. And if we don't open up our minds to it, you know, then people think all the option is is drugs. And that's wrong. It isn't. It's so true. I mean, I remember when uh, for a period of time, Wayne was having some health issues and I would read about him and how he wouldn't need the docs. He was having somebody who just prayed for him and just sent him yeah. vibration after vibration and and he hailed it and people thought it was craziness and I know a lot of people I have a friend of mine who it was cancer and he had six months to live he wrote a book called and then he went overseas he went to this prayer place and just the energy the vibration yes. the love but all these people praying for him he beat cancer they couldn't find the cancer after this was 14 years ago yeah. it's just so much he has so many cases of it yes. we all call it miracle after miracle after miracle it's it, yeah it's a miracle but something we can create a lot more of and the thing is, is it's, it's that beautiful, divine, universal energy. Again, if we think we are the be-all and the end-all and the whole of the universe, get real. You know, we're, we're still in school here. We're still learning. And we're learning how to be human beings, uh, conscious human beings. And when we step up into that love and kindness towards one another, we've now resonated in that beautiful, universal, vibrational level. Um, this human need for... Um, you know, ego and power and greed and opulence is the human condition. The human conscious is that of love and kindness. And when we open up to that and we take away all the barriers, all the boxes, all the expectations and just open up to possibities and, and realize there's so much more 
that's out there that's way beyond our comprehension. But if we open up to it, we learn what is out there and what it, how it applies to us. It's, I think a lot of the time, um, any form of addictive nature is part of it's in your genes, but also part of it is, is the desire to know more and the frustration of not knowing how to know more. Well, I do. I think there's a constant yearning in people who have addiction. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's not, this isn't enough. There's got to be more. There's yeah. got to be more. And, uh, and I think that's, you know, I call it the now what. Okay, this yeah. is this, this, and this, now what? Now what? You know, I saw guys in early recovery, I said, you know what the now what is? Do the next right thing. Do something nice. That's the now what. Yes. If you're bored, you're antsy, you're fidgety, good. Find somebody who you can help. There's, there's plenty of people out there who can use something. Use your energy in a positive way, right? You Absolutely. Know, it's, Absolutely. It's, or go hop on a treadmill. Yeah, exactly. Or go for a walk in nature. You know? That's even better. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, nature is something that will always feed you. You know, a lot of people are so soul empty. You know, their hearts haven't ignited into anything. Their souls are empty because they haven't switched on that soul divine intellect. Um, you know, they don't know how to get into the spirit of life. Uh, you know, and they're running on empty. And so, you know, it's, there's the addiction to food. There's the addiction to oh sex. God, yeah. You know, there's addiction to uh, to chocolate. You know, I could call myself a chocoholic, but I know how to monitor it. <laughs> and, you know, that we have to know that it is trying to feed something that we feel we don't have. So if we start working, there's a brilliant movie, which I'm sure you've seen, the movie Inside Out. Have you seen yes. that? Yes. I think I've seen bits of it. Everybody needs to see that. You know, for children, it's permission to have emotions. For adults, it's a reminder that we need emotions. And those emotions are to tell us how we feel and how we're reacting to life at this moment. Um, you know, my partner has got this wonderful Q-factor zone of how to actually stay in your zone or not get zoned out or not be so zoned in that you're missing what's going on around you. It's the same thing with the inside-out emotions. You know, if you're getting a sadness, what's making you sad? You know, if you're, if you're getting anxious, what's making you anxious? Pay attention to your emotion, but it doesn't mean you have to get stuck there. If we allow ourselves our emotions to spend out, we actually kind of give ourselves permission to live. That makes some sense. I think what I like about that is, yeah, if we identify what the emotion is and pay respect to it, maybe it'll, it'll kind of flow through. We don't have to own every emotion we feel. No. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to take up rent space in our head. It's there for a moment just to point out something that's going on. If you're sad, what's causing the sadness? If you're angry, what's causing the anger? Deal with it. Now move on, right? It's, you know, and you can't live in joy all the time. I'm sure you get many a moment, <laughs> you know, that taps you on the shoulder where you kind of feel, you know, either anxious or depressed or whatever, because that's, again, the human condition. But it's recognizing where does it come from? Is it an old memory? Is it just a a chemistry feeling or is it something around me in my life that's making me feel that way and what am I going to do about it? Yeah, it's so true. I mean, every so often I get one of those, oh God, you know, it's like a landmine that pops up, usually something from my past. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm less and less because the past is fading away. But even now, I just had something recently pop up and it was a legal issue from some stupid stuff and it's nothing major, but it's stuff that has to be dealt with, you know, and you mm -hmm. just, when you think you're, you're out of the woods, you're like, ah, geez, yeah, got to deal with this. But, you know, I want to go back to the criminal record. You know, you you got a criminal record for stupidity, and that was that suited the crime at the time. Now, yes. why aren't we looking at who you are today and what you're contributing? 
and, yeah, I mean, I, and stop that stigma and that persecution. You've paid for your crime. It shouldn't have to be with you forever. Well, I got to give credit where credit's due. I spent a lot of time criticizing the government, the state, and all that, and they're not doing this. Here's what I will say. When I was getting back on my feet, the, the Secretary of State and Securities Division wanted to look into me because I had some really serious charges. that Nothing that related to my business, but stuff that just made me somebody they want to look into. I went in front of them. I told them the truth and everything. And uh, they gave me a clean bill of health. And then uh, there was some stuff I felt like I should have told the Division of Insurance. I do a lot of insurance work. So this year, I sent a letter in with a lawyer and all this, everything I ever did. And they wrote back a clean bill of health due to the fact that Mr. Skinner was forthcoming with this and all the things he's helped done to help the state with recovery. We want to you know, make sure that his license is not suspended or revoked. I will say that when I went forward, put my hand out and said, hey, I'm Ryan. I'm in recovery. Here's some of the mistakes I made, but that's not who I am. They have given me a clean. So I think that at least I can speak on behalf of Massachusetts. You can get a clean slate if you go forward and own your past and ask mm -hmm. for it. I think that's the hardest thing. And that was the hardest thing for me. I mean, it took me three years to reach out to the Division of Insurance because I could think, well, what if they pull my license? What if, what if? And finally, I had enough faith in God and enough evidence that there's something greater working in my life and that I've got to believe in whatever that greater thing is. that I said, you know something, I'm going to roll the dice on it. And, and I had the faith, and, and they came back, and, and don't get me wrong, some of the other stuff I put my hand out, I've had slaps on the wrist with certain things. I've had, they, they fined me 2500 actually, for um, one of my license renewals that I didn't mention anything. But bottom line was they give you, there is a clean slate, there are second chances available, but you have to work for them. They aren't free right now, unfortunately. you got to really, but if you're one of those folks out there who's suffering and in a lot of pain, if you put your hand out and you really changed, you can show people that you changed. But it's you know, giving most, people a lot the people. chance to change, though. If you've somebody that's come out of jail, um, you know, or come out of rehab, and they want to change, they want to take a different path, but nobody will hire them, nobody will give them a chance because that label is on them. They haven't got that guidance along that path to make sure they don't fall back, that they've got something to walk forward to. If you don't give people hope or something to walk forward to, they're going to fall back. So true. So, listen, we're either moving forward or backwards, especially as people in recovery. If I'm not moving forward, I'm definitely moving backwards. Mm -hmm. And and there is there's very few opportunities up there. Um, you know, usually if you get connected with the right group in recovery, like the right home group they call it, and you have a good sponsor, they can kind of coach you into these things. You basically have to find somebody who has a path that you want to go on. But a lot of people just simply say, oh, you know, you got to go on, you know, disability and you don't work and all this negative stuff that holds people down. And then we can't understand why the middle class is fading. You're getting rich people and you're getting poor people. Yes. And that's, all you, that's where it's going. You know, people are coming to a point where it doesn't make sense to work because you get more free if you don't work. Or you got to work and you got to hit the cover off the ball and be very wealthy. It's very, it's, and that's difficult. I mean, they don't, there should be some sort of a program for people in recovery or people who want to be in recovery that teach them everything from writing a check and balancing a checkbook again. That's where you go. When I was getting out of jail, I didn't, have, I didn't remember any of that stuff. I was a mess. My mind was scrambled eggs, and I luckily had a guy who adopted me, more or less, and taught me how to live. You know, taught me how to dress again. I mean, I was wearing, I, I thought I wore a sweatsuit or a tracksuit every day of the week. And he's like, you can't wear this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, uh, but that's the point where you need you need. Yeah, you have to have somebody yeah, that believes in you. That, and the thing is, is that, you, you know, you, you went through the hell on your own. You don't have to go for the recovery, recovery on your own. You know, Absolutely. this is where that unity, that community you know, it, it, when the community turns around and is united and says, I'm here to help you, um, and you, you're willingly going to take that hand. Again, it's not a handout. It's a hand up. Let me help you get back on your feet. 
when you see that love and that care coming from that community um, and you see that you count that people believe in you and they're going to help you along the way it, it helps that person walk away from those demons and believe that there's something to walk towards but you have to have that someone there that as you said no you don't dress like this anymore comb your hair you know let's <laughs> let's look forward and it's not the drill it's, sergeant, it's so is true. it? It's somebody who cares. Somebody no, who's coming at you somebody, give love. You need somebody who, that's just it. I had a sponsor who drank like me, he drugged like me, and he fought like me. But there was a guy now who had a good job. He had a super guy job. He was this guy who was like me. He was like an animal, a street fighter. Like, and here was living nice, kind to guys that were sick and suffering. You'd see him. He looked so rough around the edges. You wouldn't want to bother him, let alone have to talk to him. And he goes, he puts his hand out. And he showed me love and he, kindness. And, and he gave me the, I believed, I'll tell people all the time, I didn't believe in myself. I believed that he believed. I thought to myself, here's a guy with a six-figure job, a wife, a kid, taking the time to do this. He must see something I'm not seeing. Mm-hmm. Either that or he just likes wasting time. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's just all I kept thinking. And that's what I say to guys. I go, you don't have to believe. I'm not asking you to believe. I'm asking you to just follow my lead. The, the belief will come. You'll have so much evidence in your life as life gets better. You'll see it. I don't have to, I don't have to tell you or convince you. You'll see it. But in the meantime, she just finally followed me. You have nothing else going for you. You might as well. And that's, and that's the, really, and that's how you get somebody. That's right. That's really the, the problem. Point. Is there aren't enough people out there that want to make help? The people who have a tremendous amount of success after being in recovery, like myself and a few of my friends, those people move on. They don't give a damn about the next person. And and, and that's those are the people. Like I, again, to whom much is given, much is expected. I'm obligated to keep my hands on. I'm obligated to do things like this. That's, that's who I am. It's what I'm supposed to do. This is my it. God didn't get me sober and clean so I could go make money and just get in shape. It wasn't about Ryan. He got me sober and clean. For, there was some kind of energy. It brought me back to this so I could help society and the community. So you could, you could live your meaningful purpose. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, the, the best people to help people out of anything are those that have been through it before. And the reason you've gone through it is so that you can help other people through it. That relatability. Um, if you've had somebody who's just gone to college that's learned everything by the books and they're busy talking to you know, a recovering addict or anybody um, on the subject and that person's never been through anything, how can you relate? How can you truly understand what that person's <laughs> gone through? It, it, right? You it's, know, funny, it's funny. Here in Massachusetts, there's a rehab, and I can't mention it, obviously, but I went to it. When I was making money, I put myself in. It was 30000 for a month. And I, go, I remember being there. It was nice. It was high-end, a good chef all this stuff that I thought was at a hotel, but none of the people were in recovery. And they yeah. were all the guys from Harvard and everything else. And sure enough, I came out there. I went in there with like a college degree in like Percocet, and I came out with a master's in heroin. The only thing I learned was that heroin was made of the same stuff, so I started doing heroin. Oh my God. When I ended up at the bottom of the barrel, when I get out of jail, I'm at this place, a complete dump that not one person who ran to ever graduate high school. None. But they were all recovering acts and alcoholics, all tattooed up. One guy was a former crypt, gangbangers, tough people that's where I got recovery these yeah. guys I can relate to I can yeah. say hey, when you felt this what did you do I, I need to know somebody walk my path if you want if you want my trust and I'm putting everything in you I want to make sure that you've been there I yeah. just do selfishly absolutely yeah because you're really you know Harvard I always say yeah well I tell people all the time because I hire I get a guy who works for me went to Harvard another guy who's a consultant from Yale and I say Ivy League people make great employees Yes. But I'll take an addict. I'll bet on an addict any day of the week. Um, I, I agree with you. You know, there's a reason why we go through the pain that we go through. And 
um, and the suffering so that we can relate. You know, I've been a spiritual counselor for, for over 40 years and, um, you know, it's, I understand, you know, I might not have had the exact journey, but I've had a journey where I understand the pain um, and I understand the challenges and I understand, you know, what you're going through and that it's going to be two steps forward and maybe three steps back. But don't worry, I've got you. You're not going to fall. And soon it will be strides <laughs> forward. And it's just that believing in someone, that nurturing someone. And, you know, I'm what I call the school mom now and again of like, no, you're not. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, you got to slap on the hand. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, but when somebody cares, you, you know, when somebody cares about you, you learn to care about yourself. And, there, and I don't think there's any success in the world that's worth having if you don't have that self-love and self-value. Well, I love what you said. I, I love what you're doing, too. I think so many places, radio stations, TV shows, they'll talk about it, but they won't talk about love or, like, yeah. how, how solution. And I always tell people, don't tell me a problem unless you're going to show me a solution. Thank you. I don't want to hear you bitching and moaning. I don't want to hear your nonsense. Yeah, that is. Yeah, because you hear so much nonsense. Yeah. But, yeah. It's nice to hear somebody say, all right, here's a solution. We treat people with love. We do this. We do that. And I know you focus a lot of your, a lot of your shows on love. And I think that's, I think that's so important. And people don't realize it's not all just about the fact that, you know, you're on the radio and you get a good show. It's, you, you know, you base it on something. Hey, how can we take care of people? How can we help people get through this? And, uh, I mean, it's a gift to a lot of people out there. There aren't enough of us doing that. And we all have to because it's, it's up to us. I mean, we're the only people who can make it better. You know, if you look at the animal kingdom at the present moment, and we're seeing species that are meant to be enemies becoming best friends, it's because they're in the love vibration. Love is trust. They trust each other. They don't see the differences. They just see the love vibration. If we stopped seeing each other as black, white, pink, gay, poker, dark, gay, addict, you name it, and start seeing our hearts and our souls, and start seeing ourselves from the inside out, we would be such a better human race. I think we have to stop looking at the exterior and start looking at the interior, and that's the only way we're going to live an honest life. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. I think, um, you know, just seeing what we saw in Orlando, yes. I, I don't know, I, I can't relate to a lot of people. I was raised in a family that was very open-minded, because I can't imagine giving a damn if somebody's black, white, some of my best friends are gay, I mean, black, I mean, some of my best friends are Asian, black. I mean, I just don't care. I, I don't understand it. Maybe it's I'm not from like some part in the you know another part of the country that's kind of pinheaded or just being in a different family. But I can't imagine that you're that obsessed with hate that you think you can make that big of an impact. You know, you, you hurt some families, but you know you don't. You know, as a community as a whole, it made no impact. All that person did was just show they're an ignorant idiot. And you know, anything that's done in the name of God. Any form of killing, any form of hate is not a God whatsoever. That is a human um, uh, excuse uh, to kill. And anybody that incites killing or hate because somebody is of a different race or a different faith um, is somebody that has no right to stand in the public realm. Um, if we, we have to take accountability for our own actions, our own selves, our own contribution to the world. And uh, if we want change, we've got to be the change, right? I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it starts with us. Yes. Now, I like the, I like the saying, today's the first year of the rest of your life. And I like to say it also, it's, it starts here, it starts now. I can't control everything else. All I can control is what I put out there for energy. And then usually if you put out the right energy, you'll get the right energy yeah. back. 
Exactly. And you know, I, I, you, you watch things like what happened in Orlando or happening in the world, and it's so easy to, to become in despair. You know, I call it the CNN effect because they love to take a pimple and make it a volcanic eruption. And, you know, all on the news that I did watch for a short while yesterday, you know, was over and over and over again. It's like worrying a sore. And, uh, and it's what happened was wrong. But let's do what Paris did. Let's come together, everybody from a different faith, different race, different religion, different everything, and say the city is for love. Let's come together in love and heal. Let's not give them the power. Because the more you hate and the more you want to revenge and the more you're going to start segregating, the more you've actually given them the power. So if we want to take back our power, then we need to treat each other with love and kindness and stop being so judgmental. Um, hate will never get us anywhere. Love is, will get us everywhere. Yeah, that's absolutely so true. I mean, at this point, something, if an event happens, okay, what do we do? Do we put our energy in obsessing over the negative, like the country usually does? Yes. Or do we turn into a positive? We start being... I mean, you look at New York, I'm in the city right now, so you cover the papers, a bunch of the gay community came together with other people from outside the community, and they're all holding hands and praying together. Like, there's a positive. There's a way to try to change things. Bringing people outside the community, tying them in. I just, uh, sitting around just talking about the negative, I just, I hate it. I don't yes. watch the news. I won't lie to you. Yes. I don't bother. I don't, I don't want to see negativity. I can, you know, I can feel it. It'll get to me. Don't feed I the pain. I always get trouble will find you. Yeah, don't feed the pain. Fuel the solution. And the solution yeah, is that love loving that. kindness. And, you know, it's, if we just start off being nicer to ourselves and nicer to the people around us, it's simplistic, folks, but generally the answers are love and kindness will always heal. That if you want to be loved, you must first love yourself because then somebody will love you in that light. And if you want to enjoy life, you've got to get out and learn to love life. And life will always give you a reason to love it. But if you don't put that love and kindness first, I'm sorry, you're going to get what you put out, right? Absolutely. You always, if you put out negativity, I know from experience, because I went through a long period of time where I was putting out negativity. I was hanging out with guys who were involved in organized criminal activity. And, and all that happened was one bad thing to me after another. And I thought I was a victim. I wasn't a victim. I was a volunteer. You live the wrong way, bad things will happen. You know, at least if you live in the right way, you know, bad things will still happen. But I can overcome them. Whenever I come up against a challenge, God usually puts somebody tied into my energy, and next thing I know, I have somebody in my life to guide me through that challenge. Uh, it's just, you name it. I've never, I'm never alone when I live the right way. Exactly. And nor are we meant to be. Um, we are, you know, America's a united nation, so it's time to get united. And we live in a world where we're meant to come together. I don't care, again, what color, sex, or religion, or faith, or species you are. We all are vibrational creatures, and the only way that we're going to save this planet and ourselves on it is coming together in that love and respect and kindness. Um, again, it's simple, but when we learn that uh, life is simply beautiful and start looking at the beauty that is around us, the possibilities and the opportunities that can grow from there, we start feeding the solution and stop fueling, you know, feeding the problem. So. I thank you so much for what you're doing, you know, with the Ryan Fund, with the, the taking ownership of your journey, uh, of looking at it as a, you know, as a gift in order to help other people and empower other people. We need more people out there like you. Uh, may your voice keep resonating. Um, and because when we 
place value upon people, they start seeing the value in themselves, and then they start becoming productive um, in society, and that's what makes your society and your community stronger. So thank you for seeding those possibilities, believing in other people, so that they can start believing in themselves. You're doing wonderful work. Sarah, thank you so much. I just, you know, I'll finish with this. Each of us needs all of us. Yes. And and I think that's what you stand for, and that's why you bring us together. And I appreciate this. So hopefully we touch some folks today. Um, if nothing else, you touched my day in a positive way. So thank you. Thank you. So how do people um, become part of the fund? How do people get hold of you if they want some financial advice? Okay. Um, it's Ryan, R-Y-A-N, taking, T-A-K-I-N-G, stock, S-T-O-C-K, dot com. That's the recovery site that we have. Um, there'll be a way to hook in with me through there. There's, you can get send me an email. You can also just go on my work web, website, which is Summit, S-U-M-M-I-T, Financial Partners, and Partners is plural with an S on the end, dot org. And either one, and I'm happy to reach out. Anybody who reaches out, I can assure you, even if you don't get me right away, my assistant will get back to you, and you'll hear from me within a few days. Uh, but I will take the time to get back to you personally. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for the work. And folks, if you want to support the fund, it's there on uh, RyanTakingStock.com. Uh, uh, the mission is there. What the fund does is there. And, you know, when we learn to give back, and, you know, maybe you don't have the time to invest in, in people. Uh, maybe it, it is that money, but maybe by seeding a group of people going off to, to camp or, or seeding an opportunity of a college fund or, you know, helping people get supplies they need just to live, you know, it's all about feeding and seeding those opportunities for people for tomorrow. And when we learn to do that, we become better people for it. So thank you so much, Ryan, for being with us here today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And to everybody else, remember, when we give, we receive. So let's keep that cycle going. <laughs>